Romans 12 this evening. Uh, and I like to think of Romans 12 as a little bit like a brand new, uh, like an instruction manual about how to put on a brand new set of clothes. Isaiah 64 describes even our purest acts as like filthy rags. It's almost like our lives before Christ were like those old and tattered clothes. Abby is forever having a go at me about getting some new shoes. (laughs) I am determined to only buy one pair of shoes a year because I just think, well, they should be made better. But anyway... I'm sure we've all got an item of clothing like that that might smell, it's tattered, it's stained, it's, it's, it's kind of gnarled around the edges. What Paul is encouraging us to do in Romans 12, what he's urging us to do, there is an urgency about it, is to put on a new set of clothes, the finest set of clothes. And those are the clothes that Christ has already paid for in his death and resurrection. You see, Jesus has gone out and bought the most extravagant gift for you. We've looked at it in previous weeks, haven't we? We've looked at, firstly, our forgiveness. We've looked at our restoration. And we've looked at the the righteousness imputed, given to us by Jesus. Jesus' righteousness is now our own. But is it also now a transformed mind and a transformed life? The new set of clothes are fashioned for you in the example of Jesus. It is the lifestyle of the believer that the Holy Spirit enables in us. That is the fruit of the Spirit that grows in us, the fruit of the Spirit. And theologically, we call this term sanctification. This is ultimately about you, all of you, being made more and more, day by day, into the likeness of Jesus and about you embodying, about us embodying the fruit of the Spirit. And so let's pick up just the first couple of verses again in chapter 12. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God, God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I have to admit that there have been times in my life where following Jesus has been a purely intellectual exercise. I wonder how many of us would agree with that. Maybe you're the same. There can be a disconnect, can't there, sometimes, between what goes, up, goes on up here and what we do with our actions. There can be a disconnect. Um, a chap called Dietrich Bonhoeffer called this compartmentalization or dualism. And this is the idea that we can keep God to a corner of our lives and say, God, no more. He called it, let's see if this is going to work, beautiful. He called it a colossal obstacle. He said, The cause of Christ becomes a partial and provincial matter within the limits of reality. And what he is saying is that we have the ability to limit Christ to a portion of our lives. So how do we overcome this obstacle? If we're to be true disciples of Jesus, then surely the goal is for Jesus to inhabit every province of our lives. 
Let's look at that first verse again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's holy and pleasing to God. That is your true and proper worship. And I'm sure that many of us will understand this idea of the renewing of our minds. But what about offering our bodies as a living sacrifice? Sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? A little bit weird. A little bit mysterious. Let's, let's just dive into that for a second. The imagery of this dates right back to Leviticus at the start of the Bible. It speaks of sacrifices where animals were used to atone for sin and guilt. And it also speaks of burnt offerings in which the whole of the animal was burnt up as an act of gratitude and worship. In other words, Paul is connecting this idea that metaphorically speaking, our lives... Our whole lives are to be an offering that demonstrates our gratitude and worship to God. It's not just a portion, but the whole. And that's what we do at work. It's what we do for leisure. It's our finances. It's how we behave with our friends. It's how we think about sex and marriage and singleness. It's all of it is to be transformed as a demonstration of our worship to God. And we're called to say, Jesus, have it all. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message interpretation, says this. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Let's be honest that the temptation for us is to sing together tonight, It's to hear a message, I won't say a good message, we hear a message, to spend time just being with one another, having fun, having great tea and coffee and biscuits. Young adults, we're going out for drinks afterwards, like that little plug. Um, To do all this amazing stuff, to hear this, and to go from this place and leave it at the door. That is the temptation, isn't it? And Paul recognizes this. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be under no illusion. What Romans 12 calls us to do is not an easy task. The shape of the world around us is ill-fitting. To be a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, is a costly route. Jesus says, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And that is true. It is by grace. But the decision to be a disciple takes sacrifice. If you follow Jesus with your whole life, you will be at odds with the environment around you. Get used to it. I love what Paul Washer says. He's quite a strict Baptist preacher. As a young man, I find that helpful. Gives me a little kick when I need it. You may not find it helpful. (laughs) He says this, you will not be judged for the amount of truth you have in your head, but the amount of truth you have lived out with your life. It is our whole selves that are to be transformed and offered up. That's our minds and our bodies. And so the question is, how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, as we heard, Paul provides, subsequently, a load of instructions to us about what these new clothes, the fruit of the Spirit, is to look like in our lives. And we're going to just briefly... Break that down in a framework of looking at it in two sections. Being transformed by the Spirit together and being transformed by the Spirit on our own. 
I love to remember a lovely old man called Gordon. And Gordon was at my old church. Uh, Gordon is one of those sweet, sweet gentlemen. And you just think, oh, I just love to be around you. We had this running joke where he would always lovingly call me the wrong name. <laughs> and I'd always try and correct him. And, and he would always, he just refused to be corrected in that. He loved it. And I found it kind of funny the first 100 times. Gordon grew up in the Methodist church. And if you know much about old school Methodists, then you'll know that a lot of them don't drink alcohol. Well, one time we were at a church party and Gordon comes up to me and I'm holding a beer in my hand. It wasn't the first, it, it, it wasn't, it was the first beer of the night, I should add. Um, and he says to me, he comes over really seriously, he says, James, do you need that? And you know those moments where a million emotions seem to flood through you at the same time. How am I going to respond? Was I angry? Was I embarrassed? Was I accepting, humiliated, kind of maybe glad, peaceful? The list goes on. I admit that my response back to him showed my age. I said with attitude, I said, no, I don't need this, but I want it. It's embarrassing now. Don't get me wrong, I don't think there's anything wrong with drinking in moderation. What I'm getting at is that I missed Gordon's point. He was not trying to help uh, heap guilt or condemnation onto me, but challenging me to find my dependence in Jesus and not alcohol. Verse 4, Paul says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the other. God has placed us, he's placed you, he's placed me in this church, in this space, for our good. We are to belong to one another. Yeah, we may look all different, we may come from different backgrounds, we may have different ideas, we may even have different theologies in certain areas. But he has called us and placed us in a space to be transformed together. Think back. I don't know if you can remember it. My first preach at Hero Trinity. We spoke on Acts 2.42, the early church, going to temple together, being in one another's homes, the idea of koinonia, which means to be devoted to one another. The term one another is mentioned in the New Testament over a hundred times. And Paul, in verse 10, goes on to say, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. When we recognize ourselves, not just as individuals sharing the same space, but as family devoted to one another, we create an environment here whereby the Holy Spirit encourages us, whereby the Holy Spirit challenges us, and whereby we are ultimately transformed. It's my belief that the church... Our conversations, our friendships are almost to be like dinner tables where we just be together, enjoy one another's company. But those dinner tables turn into hospital beds where friends gather and the broken are made whole. Where we are challenged and where we find new life. Introverts, extroverts, we become more like Christ together. And this is an example of where we're going to feel the rub with the environment, the culture, the society around us. 
because we live in a society that values personal freedoms and autonomy over collective identity. It's about me over we. In fact, this was in 2009, so this is a little while ago. Telegraph ran with an article titled, Britain's Me Culture, Making Us Depressed. It said, people from highly individualistic cultures like the United States and Western Europe are more likely to value uniqueness over harmony, expression over agreement, and to define themselves as unique or different from the group. If you're relatively new to church, you'll understand that to do this thing that we're doing this evening, this thing called church, feels odd. It feels weird, doesn't it? We live in what's called a post-Christendom society. But if we're to become followers of Jesus, then we've got to refuse to be conformed to the pattern of this world and instead be knitted together as family. Let's not give in to the temptation of trying to do this on our own. Verse 6, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I am so appreciative of Jordan's, uh, Jordan's Gordon's, Jordan's too, if that is, um, Gordon's challenge to me. In fact, now I find myself desperately searching for older men and women who have the experience and the, the miles on the, on the clock ahead of me in terms of the spiritual faith to, to, to input and to give me direction and, to, and to, to bring me wisdom that I need. And so I just want to, this is just a generic encouragement to older people here today, is to encourage you and to say, please don't take your foot off the pedal. Please press into Jesus. If not for your own sake, then for the sake of us younger guys and girls who need your input, who need your example. We look like we have it together. We have not a clue. We need your help. God has given us to one another in order that we might grow in devotion to himself. And let's nurture, let's invite relationships where others can lovingly and appropriately speak into our lives. Yeah? Let's do that. Transformed by the Spirit on our own. And yet we can't be together all the time, can we? We're not gonna, we can't stay in this room, locked in this room. I guess we could lock the doors, be a bit weird. Won't do that. We're to go from this place to our schools, to our workplaces, to our families and friends. And that's why we see in Romans 12, 9 to 19, Paul reels off something of a manual. Whereas Galatians 5 also speaks of this, something about embodying the fruit of the Spirit. For the sake of time, I'll summarize. In brotherly love, being devoted to one another. In honor, outdoing one another. In zeal, never flagging. In the Spirit, glowing. Love that. In the hope, rejoicing. In tribulation, being patient. In prayer, being constant. In the needs of the saint, sharing generously. In hospitality, being diligent. In rapid-fire succession, Paul articulates what the fruit of the Spirit uh, is to be in our lives as disciples in Jesus. He's saying that if you know Jesus, you're going to be known for this. 
If you know Jesus, you're going to be known for this. And you might be here today thinking that the Christian life is, is like a, a chart where there is a line that goes from left to right, which is kind of perpetually going up. Let me see if I can get it on. Where on the x-axis equals time, and on the right axis equals holiness. Maybe that's your expectation of the Christian life. <laughs> so, so <laughs> maybe that's your expectation. But the reality is that our lives are not like that, are they? We fail, we trip. Life is hard and we doubt. We can revisit patterns of sins in our lives that we thought we had conquered and when we fail, it leaves us feeling dejected. It leaves us feeling like failures. John Piper articulates it like this. Life is not a straight line leading from one blessing to the next and then finally to heaven. Life is a winding and troubled road. If we're honest, our lives are more like an upward spiral where we might revisit the same things over and over again as we conquer them more, as the Holy Spirit conquers them more in our life, revisiting the same patterns, the same mindsets, the same scripts in our minds. And it's in those moments, there's an encouragement for us here, it's in those moments that we must realize that the fruit of the Spirit is first and foremost given by the Spirit. Here's a, long, here's a long term. The person of the Holy Spirit works both monogistically, which means he works by himself, apart from our input, and he works synergistically, which means he enables us to work. That is to say that God does what God wants to, to do. The Holy Spirit blows where the Holy Spirit blows. Monogistically, he works apart from our efforts, and in my experience, he works in spite of my efforts. I'm sure many of us will um, think back to past experiences where we just have to go, wow, that can only be God. I can think of one moment in my life where I was living in the UK, uh, and we went to Reading and went to a Jesus Culture Conference, um, and we did something called treasure hunting. I don't know if any of you have heard of that before where you pray, you gather beforehand, you pray, and you say, God, would you just reveal, me, real, reveal to me words of knowledge, uh, prophecy, images, and then we're going to go out into the streets, and we're going to see if God can, uh, God, if you'll turn up. And so we did that, and I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm trying my hardest, putting the hardest praying face on, and uh, felt God say, I, I think you're going to meet today a man with a scar above his eye. I was like, all right. Um, okay, and out we went. And we're out for a good couple of hours, and we're meeting various people, and we're talking about Jesus. And, and um, it gets to the end of that time, and it's time to go back to the church. Um, and we start to make our way back, and I haven't met this chap. And I'm feeling pretty rotten. I'm feeling like, God, you said this. And as we start to make the corner to go back to the church, um, this... This guy comes up to me, uh, this, this homeless guy, and he says, Have, can you, please, can you give me some money? And I said, I said, well, I'll buy you lunch. So we went to McDonald's, and we're standing in the queue at McDonald's, um, and we're talking, and I'm hearing out about his life, and we're, we're saying, what's, what's going on for you? And he's telling me all about how he's lost his accommodation, all this stuff. And, um, 
And, and as we're talking, I start to notice this scar above his eye. And I said to him, I think God's put us together today. <laughs> anyway, I direct him in the way of the church. But it was in that moment I realized that God is doing something much bigger than me. Sometimes it requires us to be faithful and to step out, but he is accomplishing something which has nothing to do with us. I have no idea what happened to that guy. I pointed in the direction of the church, said, these people will help you. And that was it. I have no idea. Hand it over to God. God is working in us and through us in ways that we will never truly understand. But synergistically, the Holy Spirit also works with our efforts. It is our responsibility, it is your responsibility in your everyday life to create space in our lives for his work in us, for him to enable our spiritual formation. Space where we can hear his voice, where we can remain sensitive to his conviction in us. Jesus himself summarizes it in John 15 like this. I am the true vine, he says about himself, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Our job is to remain in the vine. That's where we, what we have responsibility for. And there's a number of ways we can do that. We've talked about them. We talk about them regularly. Silence and solitude, that's getting away from noise, making space in your life to hear God's voice calling us forward. That's studying the Bible. You will be staggered at the stats of just how few Christians read the Word of God. Fasting. There is something about physical lack which reminds us of our spiritual lack and our need of Jesus. Sabbath. How good are we at fostering rest in our lives? Are you, are you serving God from a place of striving or are you serving him from a place of rest? Prayer, pray. Confessing sin to one another, don't hide. Bring it to a trusted friend. Meditate on and ponder the word of God. And you know, these are called spiritual disciplines. They are disciplines. It's not always easy. But in and of themselves, disciplines are not enough. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that we don't do them. Do them. Weave them into your life. Depend on them in the highs and lows. But spiritual disciplines are a useful means but an inadequate ends. Because it is by the power and the person of the Holy Spirit that we are transformed. That's my experience. And with that, if maybe you're feeling like, wow, I've got a whole list of stuff I've got to do now, with that should come a rest, should come a lightness, and should come a freedom. We live in the grace of God, amen? We live in the grace of God. You'll have heard me quote this guy before, but I, love, I just love his story, really. This is Hudson Taylor speaking as he struggled with patterns of sin in his life and feelings of failure. He said this, The Lord Jesus received, his holiness begun. The Lord Jesus cherished, his holiness advancing. The Lord Jesus counted upon, 
as never absent, would be holiness complete. He goes on to say, This grace of faith is the chain which binds the soul to Christ and makes the Savior and the sinner one. A channel is now formed by which Christ's fullness plenteously flows down. The barren branch, that's us, becomes a portion of the fruitful stem, that's him. One life remains, sorry, one life reigns throughout the whole. If you feel like a failure here this evening, like you're no good at doing this Christian thing, then I would just to say to bless you, I'd just say to you that, I want that, that you're in good company, okay? You're in good company. Rest easy, sleep well. We're people of grace. You're saved by grace. It's not by your doings, but by his doings. Rest well. But I do want to encourage you and challenge you to do what you've got to do to remain in the vine. And each of us, that looks different for each one of us. Do what you've got to do to remain in the vine. No service today, no person can do that for you. We can't ride on somebody else's faith. Um, It doesn't work like that. We have to foster those disciplines in our own life for ourselves. And that's the decision that we take ourselves. But let's do that from a place of rest. Band, can I get you guys back up? If you guys like to stand with me, just to say that if you would like some practical help with that, then there is a great website that you may find helpful. It's by a chap called John Mark Comer. He wrote The Ruthless and Amazed Hurry. God has a name. He's got a website called practicingtheway.org. And on there are loads of practices of Sabbath, um, fasting, prayer, lots of good stuff. And so if you'd like some really practical help about how do you build them into your own life, Go to that website. It's a great place to start. Should we pray? Let's do that. Oh, God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your son, Jesus, that has taken all our bad stuff and given us all his good stuff. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are living inside us. That you are making your home inside us. That day by day, we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. I pray, God, help us to view your church as a place whereby that happens. Where we are encouraged, edified, built up, challenged as well. And I pray also, Lord, that you would give us minds to be disciplined daily, that when, whether we are going through the most incredible moments in our life or whether we are going through the absolute gutter, that, Lord, we know you are with us because we have fostered a life which is devoted to you. Help us in that, Lord. That does, it's not an easy thing. Help me, Father. Help me, God. I just pray, Holy Spirit, even now. Maybe you're thinking, I've never even received the Holy Spirit, like a pouring out of the Holy Spirit. You need some help in that. I just encourage you now, while everyone's got their eyes closed, everyone close their eyes, um, just stretch your arms out. It's nothing magical about it. It's just saying, God, I'm ready to receive. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come.